Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Luke 24, verses 1 through 6 and 13 to 25. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, just wait a minute. That was not, that's not the Easter story. We read the wrong story. We are used to the same Easter story. The women come to the tomb. They don't find Jesus there. They see some angels. Mary sees this guy she thinks is a gardener. He says her name, Mary. She says, Rabboni. She sees who it is. And then Jesus, Jesus tells her, go and tell my disciples, and don't forget Peter, especially Peter, go and tell my disciples that I have been brought back from the dead and that I'm going ahead of them to Galilee. That's the story we're used to. But this story, the story we read today, is also an Easter story taking place on that resurrection day just a few hours after the resurrection There were these two men. They were on a journey to a small village called Emmaus. They were actually followers of Jesus. And as they walked along the road, they were having a conversation when all of a sudden a third man joins them. It's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus asked them, what are you talking about? And they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who's never heard? Who didn't hear what happened? 
They try to explain it, but they themselves don't understand. So Jesus spends the next few hours of their journey, Jesus spends it explaining it to them. All that has happened, and then he joins them for dinner. They still don't know who he is, but the Bible tells us that when Jesus lifted the bread and he broke it, he was made known to them in the breaking of a bread. And quick as a minute, he disappears. This is a story we don't tell enough on Easter, but it has so much to teach us about being a resurrection people, about being the Easter people that God calls us to be. And here's the first thing we learn from this story. The journey to Emmaus teaches us as followers of Christ about the virtue of humility in our own lives. These were guys who knew Jesus. They'd walked with him. They sat under his teaching. They'd spent time with Christ. And still, they didn't know Jesus when he was right before them. This part of the story should inspire within all of us a degree of humility. We can study Jesus a lot and still be very slow to see his hand at work. One of the challenges that we Christians face is our tendency to claim that we know exactly what God is thinking and exactly what God is doing. But I can tell you from my own personal experience, having spent a lot of time studying Christ, that there have been a number of experiences in my life where Christ has been at work right in front of me and I couldn't see it. And yeah, very broadly... We all know what God is doing. God is about the work of the redemption of the world. But when it comes to lesser things than the salvation of the earth, well, it's kind of fascinating how frequently the thing I know God is thinking just happens to align with whatever it is I am thinking. God made us in God's image, and yet... Sometimes we try to reverse that to make God in our image. But this story is a story of two folks who had been with Jesus and still could not, could not see who he was when he was literally standing right in front of them. This tale involves as so often our experiences with Christ do, this tale involves the recognition that we do not always know the mind and heart of God. We do not always know the face of God. That sometimes when Christ comes to us, it doesn't look like what we expect. The story inspires humility, and it's important to keep that in mind, because if we don't keep that in mind, then what comes next could make our heads swell. Not only does the road to Emmaus teach us about the need for humility in our spiritual journey, but it also teaches us about the significance we have in God's eyes. The Bible tells us that these two guys are on the road to Emmaus when Jesus joins them, and that one of them is named Cleopas. Cleopas. That is the only time in the Bible we hear his name. 
The other guy who's on the road with Jesus, his name never even gets mentioned. These, these were not in the upper echelon. These two guys walking on the road to Emmaus, they weren't the guys around the table at the Last Supper. They didn't have the kind of call story that gets included in the scripture. They were normal, everyday followers of Jesus. Hold on to that for a second. We're going to come right back to it. The other thing the Bible tells us about this journey is that the word, the the town of Emmaus was seven miles away from Jerusalem. Now, the average human being, when we are walking, we walk between three and four miles an hour. That's when we're on a relatively flat surface. Some of you have been to Israel, been to Jerusalem. You know it's anything but a series of flat surfaces. That would probably slow them down a bit, walking up and down mountainsides. Not to mention the fact that they were in the midst of a very heavy conversation. And you know, we don't walk fast when we gossip, church. So let's say that instead of three to four miles an hour, just to make the math easy, these guys were walking at 2.33 miles an hour, which means the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus would have taken them three hours. Add another hour for dinner. And here's what we find. Jesus spent four hours with these guys on the single most important day in eternity, Jesus chose to spend four hours, not with Mary or Peter, not with James or John, but with these two average, normal people. And this tells us some important things. First, that the revolution Jesus is leading is a groundswell. It is a grassroots movement. Many of us We'll talk ourselves out of God's destiny for our lives because we say, I'm no Peter, I'm no Mary. But you are the very best you that God ever made. My friends, God thinks it is worth investing in everyday normal people. God thinks you and I are worth pouring into. We are significant. You are significant in God's eyes. It's important to know these two things. To be humbled in the presence of God and know we are significant in the eyes of God. It is important to know those things. But these are not the most important things about the road to Emmaus story. No. The most important thing that happens in this Resurrection Day narrative is that the eyes of these two followers of Jesus were finally opened. Jesus helps these two men understand. Finally, they learn what it was all about, why the Messiah came and why he died and why he was brought back. I love verse 21 of Luke 24. It says, We had hoped that this Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped, we had hoped that this Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. Remember, this conversation's taking place on 
Easter. This is resurrection day. This is the day of all days. It was Easter. And still, Jesus' own followers were walking around in defeat because they didn't understand. So my question to us today on this Easter is this. Do we understand? Do we understand? Can we articulate what Easter really means? Because my guess is that most Christians, they can't. We so often think that the chief meaning of Easter, of resurrection, is that Jesus conquered death. And therefore we too will conquer death. And while that is true, if that is chiefly how we understand the resurrection of Jesus, we are missing the big picture. It's not about death. My friends, if I am walking through this life on my journey, like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, And I find myself constantly struggling, struggling to find fulfillment, struggling with anger and fear. There is a fair chance that I don't understand the most important event that has ever occurred in human history. We think that Easter is about Jesus conquering death, but death was just a symptom, church. It was a result of a much deeper infection, a disease called sin. Let me take this analogy to another level. Our tendency as Christians in the 21st century is to treat Jesus like he's Advil. And don't get me wrong, (laughs) Advil is great. I'm trucking towards mid-40s. Advil is great. Motrin is great. My wife calls it vitamin M. It's got its purposes. But the thing about Advil, Motrin, ibuprofen, the thing about these things is that they relieve the symptoms for just a few hours. That's not what Jesus does. You might want to write this down. This is worth remembering When it comes to the disease that ails us, church, Jesus is not Advil. He is penicillin. Jesus doesn't just alleviate the fever of death. He eradicates the cause. He cures the disease itself, sin. And not at the end of our lives. In Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago, he conquered sin. And has the power to conquer it in your life and in my life right now, still today. And I can guess what you're really thinking. Pastor, that's nice language. Sounds like the kind of stuff that you preachers are supposed to say. But we all know that we're going to have to keep wrestling with these things that hold us back and 
hold us down? If I could walk straight to the camera right now, I would. I am speaking the truth. This may well be, I don't know, this may well be the last sermon I ever preach on Easter as a pastor. And I am telling you the truth. The best way I know how. And it is a matter of the utmost importance that we understand this. Jesus Christ conquered not simply death, he conquered sin. And if we are daily consumers of Christ, he wipes out sin in us. It's a process called regeneration. If we commit ourselves daily, moment by moment, to the pursuit of Christ, he transforms us, he regenerates us, makes us new. He helps us find fulfillment and fills us with joy. He takes captive our fears and our dread and turns them into hope. But we have to be willing to let Christ cure us. When Jesus comes back from the grave, it isn't just that he conquered death, the symptom. He conquered the disease. He conquered sin. Jesus' victory means I don't have to live my life in pursuit of things that rob me of joy. I don't have to live filled with anxiety about the future. I don't have to seek identity or status in a career race that's never going to satisfy. I don't have to be addicted. I don't have to be angry. I can be free. That is what happens on Easter. Are we still running around with a disease when we have had the cure for 2,000 years? Yes, yes, yes. On Easter, we find hope that we get to go to heaven, but we also find healing, meaning we can live right now. Free lives, well-ordered lives, intimate lives. A deep connection to the source of love and power deep connection to others. That is what happened on Easter. Has it happened to you? Am I settling for an anemic life when Jesus offers an abundant one? Am I settling for a resurrection after I die when Jesus tells me I can start living the resurrection now? Okay. You are Ebenezer Church. You are a pragmatic people. It's one of the things that I love about you. So practically, what does it actually look like to experience healing from sin. How does that happen? Well, the best way I can describe this regenerative process is to say that it's a five-course treatment. 
And these are in no particular order, so let's start with a box we all can check today. If we want to be regenerated, to live abundantly right now, if we want to have Christ's power to conquer sin, if we want to truly live, the first thing we want to do is worship. Go ahead and give yourself a check mark. You're, you're part of it today. You're part of Easter worship. Good on you. In worship, we praise. We lift our hearts to God. We hear someone we trust share biblical truths. My brothers and sisters, the experience of worship is a foretaste of heaven. It causes us to inhabit our rightful place in the cosmos as those who bring glory to God. And we need to do it regularly. If we want to experience fullness, fully the power of the resurrection, another thing we need to do is engage in Scripture. God, God spoke a word to the world and it is found in Scripture. Almighty God spoke to us through Scripture. It is the never-ending, always-replenished food for our souls. And in it we hear God's very voice. And I know that the Bible can be an intimidating book. So if you don't know where to start, if you go to our, our website, ebenezerumc.org bulletin, you're going to find a series of resources. And one of those are a couple of Bible reading plans. We need to hear the voice of God every day. We need to worship. We need to be in the Scriptures each day. And we need to pray. Prayer is communication, and communication is necessary for any healthy relationship. And it's my experience that one of the things that people who are trying to follow Christ struggle with the most is prayer. So on that same page, the bulletin page for Ebenezer Church this week, you find a, a link to a very simple sample prayer called the Tokens Prayer. T-C-N-S, Thanksgiving, in which we give God thanks for all God has done for us. Confession, we mention the ways that we have failed and find forgiveness from Christ. T-C-N, needs. We let God know the, the worries of our heart, the things that we're afraid about, the things that we worry about. But the scripture says to cast our cares on Christ because he cares for us. Thanksgiving, confession, needs, silence. If I call a friend on the phone and all I do is talk and then I hang up, it's not much of a conversation. At the end of our prayers, we need to be silent to listen to God's voice in our personal prayer times. We need to engage in worship. We need to engage in scripture reading. We need to engage in prayer. We need to have Christian community. Christian community where we find accountability where we find shared wisdom and a shared understanding. Some of you know exactly the beauty of these relationships, of having people that will call you on your stuff, love you through the tough times. 
we're going to fully experience the resurrection of Christ, allow Christ to be at work with us, to cast out the sins that hold us back and hold us down. Five things. First, worship. Scripture reading every day. Prayer every day. Being with our small group of people that we're connected with. And then finally, finally, We need to have some outlet for mission in our lives. A way that we are making the gospel of Jesus Christ tangible in this world. Mission is like the lab of our faith. (laughs) Remember in high school when you were in science class and you'd learn a lot and then you'd go into the lab and you'd practice something. That's what mission is. Mission is practicing our faith in the real world. And as we do so, we refine that faith. We learn from those things that worked and learn from those things that didn't. Prayer. Scripture. Worship. Community. Mission. Some of you might be saying, Pastor, that... Kind of sounds like a lot. It does. It requires everything of us. Following Jesus is an all-consuming fire, but it is also the only cure for this disease called sin. This is the truth. This is the way to live beyond this moment, beyond this crisis, beyond this fear and this sin. And the only remaining question for us is, will we continue to suffer or will we choose to be healed? Christ emerged from the tomb this day so long ago, having slain a giant. Sin lay dead at his feet, its power broken. Broken still today if we choose to allow it. The road to Emmaus is an Easter story. It teaches us humility. That's so often when we encounter Christ, he won't be wearing the face we expect him to wear. The story teaches us of our significance. That God believes you are worth walking with, worth pouring into, but at its heart. The road to Emmaus is a story about people who finally, finally understood. And it begs the question, do we? Do we still think that Jesus is just about the end of life? Or am I ready to take the next step and live, truly live right now, desperately drawing close to Christ through worship and study, through prayer and community and mission? 
Last week, as we concluded our Lenten series, I invited those who had not done so to accept Christ as their Savior. I was grateful to hear from those of you who accepted Christ. But on this holy day, this day of days, I'm asking the next question. As we who have accepted Christ as our Savior, would we also choose this day to once and for all make Him our Lord so that we can experience the great resurrection adventure? What would you do to live true, real, abundant life. That's what the disciples found on the road to Emmaus. And it is on this Easter what Jesus Christ still offers us today. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, so often we can feel like those men on the road to Emmaus. Many of us have been surrounded by the things of you throughout our whole lives, and yet, and yet, somehow, some way, we perhaps miss the point. It's great that you removed us from hell and transferred our names to heaven. Hallelujah. But if that's all we know of you, oh God, we have missed it. Because your power is real today to break apart the sin in our lives, to regenerate us and make us anew in this moment, on this day, if, if we will be willing to give ourselves to you. Willing to regularly worship, to study your word, to pray, to spend time in intentional developmental, accountable relationships. And Lord, if we will make our faith tangible through mission. Yes, oh Lord, yes. You ask a great deal of us, but you gave all for us. The reason you ask that we give ourselves to you is because you know that our connection with you is the only place we will find true life. So on this day, O God, we recommit ourselves to you in grateful thanksgiving for the fact that our future is secure and our past is forgiven such that right now can be a moment of abundant life in you. Today we commit ourselves to you. You who are risen. You who are risen indeed. Amen.